Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning once again, church. We're in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel 12, open your Bible right there and then go to Revelation chapter 20, the companion book to the book of Daniel. This is your first time among us. We've been studying verse by verse the book of Daniel since back in February. We love to study a book of the Bible and uh, not miss a single verse, not even a single word. That's how we grow spiritually as we grow deeper scripturally. And so a lot of these lessons we've done through the book of Daniel have not been on Sunday morning. In fact, all of Daniel chapter 11 I shot in a studio, another extra edition lesson. So you won't hear Daniel 11 at all on a Sunday morning. If you want to keep up with our study, you can find our sermon page, the book of Daniel. Daniel 11 is a long chapter. This is a long lesson. This gives you the chance to hit pause, rewind. Daniel chapter 11 is a prophecy of the end times. And that's what the last half of the book of Daniel is. It's a prophecy. Daniel being a Hebrew prophet that prophesied under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God from the 5th century B.C. in Babylonian captivity. And I'm convinced we're living in times that Daniel saw 2,500 years ago. As many of these prophecies that lay dormant for centuries have now happened. We've illustrated that just in the last century. So we're going to pick it up now in Daniel chapter 12. And church, I need to qualify this before we get rolling. Today's a serious, sobering message. If you listen to me a long time, you know we like to have fun here. We like to laugh here. Life is too serious without having a little fun along the way. You understand that, yes? But honestly, this message has weighed on me like for weeks. So I've known we were going to come to this portion of the book of Daniel. And it's very, very, very serious, very sobering. It's really not a laughing matter at all. And every single day and every time I preach, I want you to know what compels me. I'm compelled by my calling. My calling is Hebrews 13, 17, to watch for your souls. As your pastor, that's what God has called me to do, to watch out for your soul, first and foremost. The Apostle Paul said this in Acts 20 and verse 26, that he was free from the blood of all men, for he had shunned not his responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God. And today, I'm gonna preach the whole counsel of God. What I mean by that is we want the good news, and that's the gospel. The gospel is the good news, that Christ died for our sin, that he rose again. But the implication that there's good news, that there's also bad news. We live in a time where everybody wants the good news, but they don't want the bad news. And the reality is we take for granted the good news because, quite frankly, we don't know how bad is the bad news. And so today, Daniel gives us good news, bad news. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, it says this, at that time, speaking of the tribulation time, the day of the Lord, those last seven years shortly before Christ returns, at that time, Michael, we learned last week, is the archangel of God. Michael will stand up, that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, the people being the Jews, Daniel's people. 
And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. Now Jesus quoted specifically from this verse in Daniel 12.1 in Matthew chapter 24. We live at a time where unbelieving theologians and scholars love to hate on Daniel and try to discredit the book of Daniel. And the real goal is to discredit Jesus. See, Jesus quoted often from the book of Daniel. So if you don't believe Daniel, you don't believe Jesus. The implications are rather serious. So Jesus quoted specifically from this verse, speaking of this time of trouble, the seven-year tribulation that is prophesied upon the earth shortly before his coming. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Now, you know that sleep is a euphemism of death in the Bible. You see that Old Testament, New Testament. And so we could read this in such a way it would read like this. And many of those who have died and are buried in the dust of the earth shall awake or be resurrected. Some to everlasting life, there's the good news, and some to shame and everlasting contempt, there's the bad news. Now, if we were like the average church in America today, we just talk about the good news and how everybody's going to heaven and happy, clappy Jesus and God loves everybody, we'd have this little spiritual pep rally and we'd all go home and nothing would change. But for some of us here today, under the sound of my voice, you need to understand the bad news so that you can put your hope in the good news. Because you're not ready for heaven. Not everyone here is ready for eternity. And what Daniel tells us is there's coming a day that every human being will be resurrected, those who slept or died and were buried in the dust of the earth, and they will stand before God to be judged, some to everlasting life and others to everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. There are two things that I want you to see from these three verses in the book of Daniel. First of all, every human being, will be resurrected one day after they die, some to eternal life and others to eternal destruction. And Daniel could not be more clear. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. You see, when your body goes in the grave, you don't end. This life is not all that is. This life is not all that matters. God made us to live forever, and every human being will live somewhere forever. What will be your destination? What will be your destiny eternally? That's what's at stake. Now, there's a second thing, and it's this. God will eventually judge every human being to eternal life or eternal destruction from one of two books. One of two books. And this is what he says here in Daniel 12, 1. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Now, this book that Daniel says is in view here is called the book of life. Sometimes it's called the Lamb's book of life. And what God tells Daniel is everyone who is written in that book will be delivered. Now, I don't know about you, but I want my name in that book. Yeah, what do I have to do to get my name in that book? Like, if this is what it takes to be delivered, tell me how to get my name in the book. Now, whoever's got their name written in the book is going to be delivered from the judgment that is yet to come. Now, the Lamb's book of life 
is what is in view here in Daniel chapter 12. It records the name of everyone who has received eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Revelation, I've told you, is the companion book of the book of Daniel. It's the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament book of Daniel. Revelation chapter 21 verse 27 puts it this way. And there shall by no means enter it, speaking of heaven or the new Jerusalem, anything that defiles it or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb book of life. See, what God is telling us is no sin gets into heaven. Think about it. If God let us into heaven with our sin, we would corrupt heaven. We would soil heaven. So God says nothing is entering therein. No, no one with any sin except those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the registry of heaven. I'm going on vacation soon. Guess what? I've got my hotel reservations ahead of time. My name is already registered. Let me ask you, is your name registered in heaven? The registry is this book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Why is it called the Lamb's Book of Life? John 1, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 2,000 years ago, the sinless Son of God came like the sons of men so that we could be forgiven of our sin and redefine our destination. The kingdom of heaven is called the Lamb's Book of Life because 2,000 years ago, God became a man to become our sacrificial lamb. You see, it was the curse of sin that was brought down by the sin of a man. Only the death of an innocent man could reverse the curse of sin for all men. And the curse of sin is death. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Only the death of an innocent man could reverse the curse of sin for all men and all women. The problem is all men have sinned. And so God came himself as a man so that he could take upon himself our sin and become our sacrificial lamb. And when you place your faith in him, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He cleanses you of your sin. It says in 1 John 1 and verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all of our sins so that when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin. He exonerates you of your sin because all your sin was placed on him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Well, that's good news. And he blots out your sin. He erases your sin. He exonerates you of sin. He, he no longer sees your sin. He writes your name then in the Lamb's book of life. But you need to know there's another book. And if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, there's another book. It's the book of works. The book of works records every sinful deed of every person who has died without Christ. And that's what it says in Revelation chapter 20. If you've got your Bible with you or your phone, whatever you read the Bible on, go to Revelation chapter 20 to see the New Testament commentary. You got the book of life, but it's contrasted and compared now to a different book, what we might call the book of works. And while the Lamb's book of life is a book of life, the book of works is in fact a book of death. Why is that? Because Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. You see, when we sin, there is a payday someday. 
and God is a just judge. Now, everybody wants the God of mercy, and we all sing about the God of love and grace and forgiveness, and he is all those things. But do you understand that for every one verse in the Bible on the love of God, there are seven verses in the Bible on the holiness of God. His number one attribute is holiness, and his holiness, that word simply means sinless and righteous. His holiness demands a penalty. There must be justice. And the wages of sin, his death, and the book of works records the sins of every single person one day that will be resurrected from the dust of the earth to stand before him at the great white throne judgment. And that is now what the apostle John sees in Revelation chapter 20, the final judgment of those not found in the Lamb's book of life is at the great white throne judgment. This comes at the end of the millennial kingdom. Jesus is going to return one day and set up a literal physical kingdom on the earth where he reigns from a throne in Jerusalem. It's the millennial kingdom. Revelation 20 says it lasts for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, those who did not receive Jesus but rather rejected Jesus are resurrected from the dust of the earth where they are standing down in front of the great white throne judgment and the books are open. That's the name of this sermon, when the books are open. One day, the books are going to be open. And from the books, we will be judged for our sinful works. Revelation 20 and verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. Why is it great? Why is it white? The white speaks of purity, holiness, righteousness. 1 John 1, 5. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. Do you understand one day we're all going to stand before God and we'll be judged from one of two books? We'll either be judged from the Lamb's book of life because we received the Lamb of God and he took away our sin and he cleansed us of a sin. He exonerated our sin because we put our faith in him and Jesus took our punishment, he took our place, he took our penalty and our name is written in the Lamb's book of life and if our name is not written therein, there's another book to which God will turn and he will look in that book where he is now recording our every single sinful work. Standing before God to be judged are all those who have died in their sin, both small and great. I want you to notice what the Apostle John sees is every human being has been resurrected now to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. He says, those small and great. In other words, presidents are now standing with peasants. Your earthly position will in no way define your eternal destination. It will matter not if you lived in material prosperity and you were famous and your name is remembered in the pages of history or if you lived in poverty and obscurity and no one remembers you at all in the pages of history. God will not forget even one for all of eternity and everyone will stand in complete equality with nothing before God. You may live with material prosperity, 
but apart from Jesus, you will stand before God empty and in bankruptcy spiritually, both small and great, are now standing before God. Look at what it says in verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Now, what is the implication of what John the Apostle now sees? You have the sea giving up the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivering up the dead who were in them. He's speaking both about that place where the body was laid as well as that place where the soul goes. So, you might go to a watery grave. When the the Navy SEALs killed Osama bin Laden that planned the 9-11 attacks, they gave him a watery grave. They took him to the sea. They dumped his body in the sea. There's coming a day the sea will give up Osama bin Laden so that he can stand before God where he will be judged according to his works. Now, if you don't have a watery grave, death implies the dust of the earth. You're six feet under. There's coming a day wherever your body is laid, it's going to be resurrected from the dead. Now, what is Hades? Hades is the place where the soul goes. If you die today, your body goes one place, but your eternal soul goes another place. Hades is the word Jesus used in Luke 16. It's translated often as hell in your Bible. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus taught about the rich man who died and went to hell. The word was Hades. His body was in the grave, but the eternal soul, his consciousness, was in a place called Hades. What happens at the great white throne? They are resurrected now, body and soul, to stand before God. Delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. You see, all have been resurrected from the dead to stand before Jesus, who now sits on a throne of judgment. Now, we don't have to wonder who it is sitting on this great white throne. A lot of people wonder, well, is it God the Father? Is it God the Son who is sitting now on this throne? But Jesus made it very, very clear. He said these words in John 5, 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment. I want you to understand this same Jesus who came and he died in your place, the one that was nailed to a cross to exonerate you of your sin. All of our sin was placed on him. He's the one that was bloodied and bruised and bleeding in your place to took your penalty. The wrath of God poured out on him, Isaiah 53 and verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. This same Jesus who took our beating, who took our bruising, he is the one that took our penalty. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Jesus died in our place. The same Jesus who was nailed to a cross on your behalf to be your savior is the same Jesus that is now sitting on a throne. And if you reject him, one day he'll be your judge. This is the implication. Jesus Christ died for your sin to be your savior, but if you reject him, he will one day be your judge. You see, he offers mercy and grace and forgiveness, but when you reject the grace of God, do you understand all that is left is the judgment of God? 
when you reject the mercy of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, all that is left is the justice of God. It is the wrath of God. Do you understand that God is holy and it demands a penalty? Here's the reality. We would look at a judge today as corrupt and crooked if a condemned criminal stood before them and they looked the other way. You see, God is neither a corrupt judge nor a crooked judge. He must assess a penalty. He can't look the other way. Jesus took our penalty in our place. He died in our place. The wage of sin is death. But if you reject him, then one day you'll take your penalty You'll stand in your own place. And this same Jesus that wants to be your Savior will one day, in fact, become your judge. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Those standing before God now have no defense. They're speechless. There's nothing they can say. As he begins to read their every single sin, they're big sins. I mean, the ones we've all committed, the big sins, the ones we remember from 20 years ago, and even the small sins. I mean, the ones that you forgot about. It's all being written in the books. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 that you will give an account of every idle word on the day of judgment, that every single idle word you have spoken that we will give an account of. I mean, things that we have said that we forgot about. It's all being written. Jesus is omniscient. That means he is all-knowing. And the stuff we forgot about, God never forgets. Even the idle words that we speak. Listen, I've confessed more than once through the years. Like, there's still a besetting sin I struggle with to this day. To this day, there's a besetting sin that I struggle with. In the heat of frustration or irritation, like, I can still cuss. I, I'm, I'm just telling you. That's one I still struggle with to this day. You can pray for me. And uh, it's probably happened enough times in my life, I can't even remember them all. Times in the heat of frustration, not normal conversation. I mean, I'm your pastor. I would never do it in front of you. <laughs> it's when I'm alone, I'm working, something happens, you know, hit my hand. Ah, <laughs> Sometimes I don't bite my lip in time. An idle word, apart from Jesus, God's writing it down. I'm accountable for that, and you are too. See, we all have sin in our life. There's not one of us that is without sin. Romans 3 and verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you understand that God is the great law giver? Now in Christ, we get this covenant called grace. You're not saved by your works, no matter how religious or righteous. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Titus 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness we have done, but by his mercy he has saved us. You don't get to heaven based on anything you do for God. You get to heaven based solely on what God has done for you. He gives you grace instead of justice because he took your penalty 
in your place. But if you don't come to God to receive his grace, you're under another covenant, the Old Testament covenant, called the covenant of law. And guess what? The law cannot bring your salvation. It can only give your true spiritual condition, which is condemnation. What is the law? The law, think of the Ten Commandments. God's top ten. I've already told you, I've broken one over and over again. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now somebody says, well, Pastor Phil, I mean, I broke one or two, but you're a good person, I am too. No, understand, what we're being taught in James 2 and verse 10, if you break even one of them, in the eyes of God, you've broken all of them. Because heaven is not a place for a good person. In the eyes of God, none of us are good. You understand, Jesus said in Matthew 19, who is good? No one is good apart from God. Listen, God is the only one that's good. We're using the wrong standard of heaven. Heaven is not a place for good people. Heaven is a place for perfect people, those that have lived sinlessly, and there's not one among us that have lived perfectly. And apart from the grace of God, we're all under the penalty. It doesn't matter if you've sinned a literal, sinned a lot. And some of us are somewhere in the middle. I've told you, I broke the first commandment or second commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I still struggle to this day. Oh, you think, well, I haven't killed anybody. Congratulations. (laughs) I'll bet you lied. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't lie, you've lied. Well, you have. Oh, like I'm the only one here. (laughs) See, the law is an impossible to live up to the standard of perfection. That is why we need Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, he has not come to destroy the law, but rather to fulfill the law. See, since we couldn't keep the law, Jesus kept the law in our place because we had a test that we could not pass. The law can bring condemnation. It cannot bring true salvation. It has no way of bringing redemption. But you understand, apart from Jesus who kept the law for you, you're under the condemnation because you cannot live a life of perfection. And every single idle word, every single insignificant sin, the things that you have forgotten about, it has all been written in the books. And one day those books are going to be open. And you're going to be judged from the books and the works that are written therein. You'll have no ability to make any defense when you stand before God. Because the standard is, is perfection. And if you reject the forgiveness of God offered through Christ, you will be judged for your sin, which God has recorded in the books You see, the book of life is just that, a book of life, but the book of works is a book of death because the wages of sin is death. And this is what John is now seeing, verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. Now this word Hades, often translated as hell, there's actually three Greek words you see in the New Testament translated as hell. The apostle Peter used the term Tartarus, which speaks of hell as in the dwelling place of the fallen angels. It's not used very often. The two words used most often by Jesus and the apostles are Hades as well is Gehenna or Hinnom. What is the difference? Hades is what we might call the temporary holding cell 
when I was a member of KCPD back in the 90s, I might arrest somebody for a felony, but I would not transport them immediately to the penitentiary. I would take them to the Jackson County Jail. Kansas City, Missouri is in Jackson County. So if I arrested somebody for a felony, I didn't take them to the penitentiary. They had not yet gone before the judge and had their day in court. They went temporarily to the Jackson County Jail. It was a temporary holding cell. That is what Hades is. And Jesus used this term in Luke 16, speaking of the rich man that died and went to hell. If you died today without Jesus, your body would go to the grave, but your soul would go to Hades. And you would spend at least 1,007 years there based on today. That's enough time for a seven-year tribulation and a thousand-year millennial kingdom. At the end of that millennial kingdom, you would be resurrected from Hades, the temporary holding cell, where you would stand before God at the great white throne judgment where you would have your day in court, and then you would be sentenced to the penitentiary eternally, what John calls the lake of fire. Jesus described the lake of fire using the term Gehenna, often translated as hell. He used this term in Mark chapter 9, that hell is where the worm dies not, the fire is not quenched. He was pointing undoubtedly to a valley outside of Jerusalem as the valley of Hinnom, translated Gehenna. It was the city garbage dump. And the fire would burn their day and night. It was the place they would take the dead, decomposing bodies of livestock and condemned criminals, and they would dump them in this valley along with the city trash and the city garbage and the manure from livestock. It would all go into the valley of Hinnom, and there was a fire burning there day and night. Do you understand? That's what Jesus described what we're about to see, the eternal penitentiary. Of those who now have their day in court, they stand before God, they're condemned by their sin, separated from God forever, for they have not merited the standard of heaven, which is perfection. They have rejected God's invitation of salvation. Verse 14, death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Here's the reality, you're gonna die once the first time physically. The second death is when you die eternally and spiritually. Jesus said in John 3 twice, you must be born again. Marvel not, I say unto you, you must be born again. Your first birth physically is not enough to get you into the kingdom of heaven eternally. No, you need a second birth. You had a physical birth, you need a spiritual birth. If you have been born again, you have been born twice. The good news is you'll only die once. But if you have never been born again by faith in him, you've only been born once. The day is coming, you're gonna die twice. These bodies are condemned to die under the curse of Adam's sin. But Jesus said in John 12, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. But if you reject him, you've never been born again, there's coming a day you're gonna die twice. You're going to die physically, and then you're going to live the second death, and you're going to die spiritually for all of eternity. Listen very carefully. If you know Jesus and you have trusted in him, this world is the closest you will ever get to hell. But if you do not know Jesus, if you reject him, this world is the closest you will ever get to heaven. 
And I realize this is not popular preaching in our day and age. This is not a message you're going to hear at the average American church today where it's all about the happy, clappy Jesus and God loves everybody and it's just a spiritual pep rally, but God has given me a calling and I cannot abdicate my calling. I'm watching out for your soul. Have you trusted Jesus? I'm begging you today. Today is the day. Today is the day to choose life. If I could beg you into heaven, I would. This isn't pretend. This life is not all that is. It's not all that matters. The 70, 80, 90 years we get on this planet. When it's over, it's not over. It's not over. One day we will all close our eyes in time and we will open our eyes up in another dimension known as eternity. Are you ready? Are you ready for eternity? It's coming a day I'm going to die once, but I'll never die a second time because Jesus died in my place. Verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is not a metaphor. This is not allegorical. This is, this is literal. And I love you enough today to tell you the truth, that if your name is not written in the book of life, you will spend forever in the lake of fire. There are three things I want you to see. First of all, the lake of fire is literal, it's eternal, it will last forever. It could not be more clear. The New Testament says it over and over and over again. Revelation 20 and verse 10, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Only a theologian can mess this up. Gee, what does that mean? No, we want to make complex what God has made simple. And this is a big debate right now. I mean, there are false teachers everywhere. We live at a time in American Christianity of deception and distortion and false teachers in the pulpits of America that will tell you that everybody goes to heaven, nobody goes to hell, heaven is real, hell's not literal. And I'm trying to tell you today, what God made simple don't make complex And false teachers, they don't deal with the biblical text. What they'll do is start quoting third century theologians like Origen. Origen is the hero of Christian universalists. What is universalism? Universalism is a religion that says eventually everyone goes to heaven, believe whatever God you want to, all roads lead there. That's universalism. Christian universalism says that eventually those that are in Hades will be resurrected to stand before God where they get a second chance and they will confess Jesus as Lord and eventually everyone is redeemed, everyone goes to heaven, even Satan gets a second chance, even Satan gets to go to heaven. That's Christian universalism. Now here's the deal. They don't quote the text of the Bible. They don't quote the apostles. They immediately go to third century theologians like Origen. Origen is said to be an early church father. No, he was an early church heretic. 
Origen did not believe in the equality of God the Father and God the Son. Do you understand that is a core tenet of Christianity? Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Philippians chapter two, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The Father and the Son are equal. Origen taught they weren't. He also taught something called today Christian universalism, that eventually everyone goes to heaven, even if initially they go to hell. The question is, why should I care at all about what Origen thought anyway? Was he an apostle? Says in Ephesians 2 and verse 20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Why should we even care what a third century theologian thought? Why should we really care what a 16th century theologian thought? Why should we care what a 21st century theologian thought? I don't care about Origen's doctrine. I don't think you should care about Pastor Phil's doctrine. We're here to study the apostles' doctrine. It's Ephesians, it's Acts chapter two. The early church was studying the apostles' doctrine. We're now studying the apostles' doctrine, specifically the apostle of the Lord Jesus, known as John, the one that went all the way to the cross with Jesus, the one that with his own eyes saw Jesus die, and with his own eyes he saw Jesus resurrected alive. I think he's a credible witness. Only a theologian can mess this stuff up. I don't know. Do you think forever means forever? What does that even mean? So, Pastor Phil, I just struggle with this doctrine of hell. Yes, you should. We all should. God knows I do. Very few times do I come to church really not wanting to preach. I didn't want to preach this today. It's not the one I wanted to. I struggle with it too. But all that matters is what is true. God gave us his word to reveal the truth, not hide the truth. Revelation 14, 11, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. I don't know, does that mean forever? See, this does away with the doctrine of annihilationism. You have Christian universalism that says eventually everyone confesses Jesus and goes to heaven, even Satan. You have another doctrine called annihilationism that says once somebody's cast in a lake of fire, they're just incinerated and they completely disappear. They don't even know they're alive. They're just annihilated. It's not what it says. Nowhere in the New Testament does it even imply that. The smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. If it ends, how can it be forever? This is how Daniel put it. We just saw it in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. And many of those who sleep or have died and buried in the dust of the earth shall awake or be resurrected, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. See, we want a literal heaven, but we want a symbolic hell. The problem is Daniel doesn't give us that option. The same word used for everlasting life is the same word used for everlasting contempt. Either you have a literal heaven and a literal hell, or you don't have a literal anything, and we're all wasting our time. Now, you may go with that option, but I beg you, reconsider. Don't gamble your soul. Everybody wants a literal heaven, but an allegorical hell. You don't get it both ways. Either it's all true or none of it's true. 
because he used the same words. Everlasting means just that, everlasting. Number two is this, the lake of fire is existing, eternally dying, but forever existing. You're in a state of death eternally. Remember, the wages of sin is death. That doesn't mean you cease to exist. It means you're in a state of death without ever fully dying. This is what's called the second death. Look at what Jesus said in Mark 9, 44. Remember, Jesus, by the way, talked four times more about hell than he did about heaven. Pastor Phil, I don't like this hell, fire, and damnation preaching. I know. But I love you enough and care enough about you to give it to you anyway. I know, you're gonna defriend me before the day is over, cancel me, I'm not following him on Instagram anymore. Hey, my calling is not to build a bigger crowd. And I live every day in view of my calling. It's not to build a bigger church, bigger crowd. I know what God's called me to, and one day, James 3, 1 says, I will receive the stricter judgment. I'll be the one accountable for how I imparted the word of God to the people of God. Jesus said this, Gehenna, or the lake of fire, they will be thrown into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die. Now remember, that valley was the place where dead, decaying bodies were disposed. I was a cop once. I've seen many dead bodies in my life. Most of us are very insulated from death and dead bodies. By the time we see them, it's at a funeral and they have makeup on. No, I've seen exactly what Jesus was implying. In the ancient realm, people were very familiar with death. It does not take long for a dead body to begin decomposing. And guess what happens then? The maggots and the worm begins eating on dead, decaying flesh. The implication is their worm shall not die. Why does their worm not die? Because they never fully die. They are never fully consumed. You say, Phil, you seem like you're trying to scare me today. If I could scare you into heaven, I would. But I can't. I'm praying for you. I have been praying for you. For weeks I've been praying for you that you will not harden your heart, that you will not resist the gracious invitation of our God, that today would be the day of salvation, that today you would choose life. Number three is this, the lake of fire is eternally dying in fire and flames. Everywhere I turn, people are trying to take the fire out of hell. The Bible doesn't. It's quite literal. Revelation 20, 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Jesus said these words in Mark 9, 43 through 44, they will be cast into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The Lord Jesus Christ himself twice in the same breath said the fire would not be quenched. I think we need to listen to Jesus. The closest I've ever come to hell, I was 16 years of age. 
I told part of this story a while back. I didn't tell all the story. 16 years of age, 4th of July. Like a lot of 16-year-old boys, I had more body than I had brains. We had a bottle rocket war going, going down the road, a running gun battle. We're shooting bottle rockets at each other. We're throwing firecrackers out the window. We're having just a good old time. And then I looked down on the floorboard. We had all of our fireworks. I saw a pack about to go off. We're going 60 miles an hour down the road. I can't get out of the car. I jump in the back seat. I think I'll wait it out back there. Bad idea. Immediately, everything we had began to go off. It was all going off at the same time. Bottle rockets going off inside the car. Jumping jack, firecrackers. I hear my friend. He's pulled over. He stops. He gets out. He says, Phil, get out of the car. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. I can't get out of the car. It's a two-door. I'm in the back seat. It's immediately filled with smoke. It's black. I can't see thing. I can't breathe. I'm choking. I realize the inside of the car is now on fire. And then I realize I'm on fire. My socks are on fire. I'm trying to put the fire out. And in my desperation, I prayed the most authentic prayer I have ever prayed in my 16 years. God help me. God help me. Well, I wasn't religious at the time, but I got religious right away. I prayed the most authentic prayer I'd ever prayed in my 16 years. God help me. And guess what happened? I see the door open. I make a lunge for it. I got out. God spared me. He had mercy on me. And today I'm trying to tell you, God will have mercy on you if you will simply pray an authentic prayer. God help me. God save me. That's all it takes. God will hear your prayer. He will forgive your sin. He will blot out all the sins in the book of works. And he'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. Today, it can all change. Daniel 12, 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. We call it around here finding your one. The wise are the ones that are looking for their one, someone who's far from God, someone in your life, friend, family, coworker that needs Jesus, that at this very moment they are dangling over hell by nothing but a thread and they don't even know. God didn't save you just to save you. God saved you so that through you he might save others too. The wise will shine for Jesus and share him with others to turn them from their sins so they too will find redemption. Church, today I am free from the blood of all men for I have shunned not my responsibility to preach to you the whole counsel of God. I've given it all I got. Jesus has too. Now he's waiting on you. What will you do? Would you bow with me wherever you're watching from, other campuses and our church houses online, wherever you are in the world today, I want to ask you a question. It has the power to define forever your destination. Do you know with certainty what you would see if you opened your eyes in eternity? Because someday we all will. 
we will take one last breath in time. We will close our eyes one more time. And when we open them up, we're going to see something. What will you see when you step out into eternity? If you're not certain today, today can be the day that you leave here, wherever you are, with the joy of eternal security, knowing your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You say, Phil, I'm ready. I know that. I place my faith in Jesus. There's no doubt in my mind. Would you slip up your hand right now all over this place? Just testify with a raised hand. I know that I'm ready. Wherever you are in the world right now, God is watching. I can't see you, but God does. That's all that matters. A raised hand says, I know I'm ready. I place my faith in Jesus. You can put your hands down. Somebody today would say, Phil, honestly, I can't put my hand up because I don't know. I don't know where I would be for sure. And sweet friend, God loves you so deeply. Today is the day he wants you to be certain. If that is you today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Pastor Phil, that's me. I don't know for sure where I'm going if I died today. What I would see, just raise your hand up very quickly. With a raised hand, just testify, that's me. Wherever you are in the world, I'm going to pray right now. A prayer of faith. You can pray with me right where you sit. Wherever you are, God will hear your prayer. He'll forgive your sin. I want you to pray right now. Pray this with me. Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I've tried to be a good person. But I know I'm not ready for heaven because it demands perfection. Just pray this with me. But Jesus, I know that you died for my sin, that you rose again, that you're alive today. And by faith, I receive you into my life as my Savior, my King. Would you write my name right now in the Lamb's book of life? In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give him the glory with me today? Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.